0: I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. God cannot help you unless you allow God to help you. Many of us could be accused of trying to out-God God. We think we know more than God. We think we can do more than God. We actually believe that what we want and how we want it is better than the way God can bring it to us. In fact, we get so busy doing what we do, the way we do it, there is no opportunity for God to get into our lives at all. God is so merciful. God will not fight you. If God did, you would get beat up badly. Most of us could use a divine butt whipping. Instead, God sits back and waits to be invited into your life. God will let you do whatever you want to do until you realize that God can do it better. If you want to run the show, God will let you. If you want to pull all the strings, that's up to you. If you want to insist that what you are doing is the way it should be done, even when you are not getting anywhere, go right ahead. God will let you run yourself ragged if you choose to do so. Unfortunately, you may not always be aware that you are in God's way. You think you are demonstrating your independence. You think that it's all up to you and that you must do it or it won't get done. God knows better. God knows that God cannot fail. However, God has no need to prove to you what God can do. How do you know when you are in God's way? How do you know when you are running your program rather than allowing God's divine plan to unfold? It's very simple. We're here in the Archbishop's Corner where Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair is here to help you know when you are in God's way. If you are struggling to make things happen and they are not happening, it's you, not God, running the show. Until today, you may have been directing your own life and attempting to produce your own blessing. Just for today, ask for direction. In the Archbishop's Corner, you can open yourself to God's guidance. It's where you can give up your attachments to having things your way and open yourself up to God's way. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for helping us see the unfolding of God's divine plan in our lives and helping us trust enough to step aside and let God get into our lives. How are you today? Fine, thank you. Are you as surprised as I to see the escalation of violence that is occurring in our country? I mean, with the shootings that occurred in Buffalo and um, across the country, one incident after another of violent attacks on innocent people?
1: Well you know it's it's all connected uh, not just to gun violence uh, alone but it's all interconnected with the great moral and psychological and above all spiritual wounds uh, of our nation mm. i mean these are as a you know a believer as a bishop i am and i've said this many times publicly and privately in so many different ways there is no solution to these problems without a profound spiritual renewal in the United States and in the Western world. This is, this is a sickness of the soul. It's not just about mental health, unless you realize that mental health is connected to the fact that we are immortal beings created in the image and likeness of God with an immortal soul. And if we think that without faith, without God, without heeding God's word, if we think that we can solve these problems uh, on our own, we are the most delusional of people, and it's not going to have a happy ending. And we just have to, we have to be witnesses to, during this Easter season to the resurrection, to, to Christ, to our faith, and we have to not be pick-and-choose Catholics uh, and people who just, uh, uh, do, you know, take wear our re- religion lightly all the time and casually, but we have to each of us strive to be people of real faith and prayer. And if we can't do that, if we won't do that, then we're not really contributing to a solution. I mean, I read in the paper just recently that one of the high schools here in, in the Archdiocese, public high schools, the startling number of uh, students who have attempted suicide. I oh, mean, yeah. when you and I were in high school, I mean, there were problems. And, you know, in the 1960s, things were pretty raucous. But this is, this is a spiritual bankruptcy, a spiritual dead endedness. You really got me pumped up asking me this question, but I I mean and and we, we talk about it a lot, but you know this this celebration of abortion that we're hearing in our state and nationally uh, I mean it is really uh, frightening and it's it's very discouraging so we have to we have to I appeal to all of our listeners to really let's all get down on our knees and, yeah. and religion is not just some frosting on the cake beginning with myself, we have to be people of real faith and prayer, of courage. And, you know, parents, I mean, what a difficult job you have today. Uh, There's so many forces arrayed for the disintegration of the most fundamental truths about the human person, about the meaning of marriage, what it means to be a man or a woman, family life, where where everybody's on their little computer or cell phone in this atomized world. Uh, You have a huge challenge, but we all see families that are doing a great job with their children who are holding tight to the the basics of of uh, life, of human rationality, and of the faith. And these are the kind of things that we have to rise to the occasion, because otherwise, you're not going to just solve these problems by gun laws, and i'm not I'm not saying that that's not important, but uh, this is about wounded human souls and minds uh, above all. About people who are uh, drifting in life without roots, without family, without being uh, being uh, brought into a, a, a human relationship in a, in a family with a spouse and children, uh, and uh, without those things, uh, it's very difficult. So how so do you see how you've got me started now?
0: Right, but how do you heal the wounded soul?
1: By doing what Jesus said: repent and believe. That's what Jesus came into this world to do, is to heal souls. He's the great healer of souls. And that was when he opened his mouth to the people, that's what his message was. Repent and believe. It's as simple and as complicated as that. But repent and believe.
0: On Tuesday, we celebrate Brothers Day. And Brothers Day is a day to celebrate the bond between brothers, both biological and fraternal. And for all those who don't have any brothers, the day can still be celebrated with friends that are considered family. My question to you, Archbishop, share with our listeners the uniqueness that brings priests together as brothers. We oftentimes refer to each other as brother-priest. Talk a little bit about that bond of, of priestly brotherhood, if you will.
1: Well, it goes back to Christ himself. That Jesus, when he called the apostles, uh, the scripture says he called them to be with him. That was their chief responsibility, that that the one thing he wanted them to do was to be with him. Uh, And so it's all centered on uh, brotherhood in Christ for a priest. And the idea is that uh, we know the apostles, uh, how can I say it? They, they, They were irritated with one another a lot of times. They didn't always get along so well. But what united them was their devotion to Christ, and as I've said in one of my ordination homilies, that Jesus sent the the disciples out two by two, because as Pope St. Gregory the Great said so many centuries ago, if you can't get along with another person in fulfilling your your ministry, you really are not able to preach the gospel. So there's something fraternal for a priest, uh, and the same thing would go for women religious, you know, living in community. Uh, right from the get-go, uh, that that that's that. There's no such thing as a, a lone ranger uh, bearing witness to the gospel. It's a team effort, to use a modern term, a fraternal effort or for sisters a sororal uh, 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 apostolate. And so, for priests today, the problem is we have so few of them, and they're stretched so thin that they're not able to live so much together in community. And I, wherever I can, I encourage priests. Uh, to live together. And as we're doing with the pastoral planning, of course, we um, are are providing for rectories where uh, a community of priests, however small a community, but a community of priests, can live together and then go out and support and cover for one another if somebody gets sick or, or needs to go on vacation or retreat, where we have not just one priest struggling all by himself to cover all of these things, but we have a team of priests. And that's not just for efficiency or for uh, the work, but it's also for their own spiritual good. Uh, I have never, as a priest, lived alone. Never, uh, uh, as a priest or bishop, I've always uh, been in a house with more than one one priest. And I think that's uh, extremely important. So this is also part of when we talk about family, you know, and, and community and uh, connect connection with people. Uh, You know, this is you can't live in a world where your only companion is your cell phone uh, or your computer screen. Uh, That's that's not real. Even when you're talking to real people, it still doesn't have the reality, the complete reality of of it. You know, and I participate in so many Zoom meetings with COVID now and a Zoom meeting is a a real uh, lifesaver for COVID to still bring people together in some uh, uh, effective way. But it's not a replacement for uh, in-person meetings because there's so much that goes on, so much interaction and and such on the sidelines that that you can't have on a Zoom Zoom call. So similarly for our priests, the same.
0: And on Thursday, we celebrate the ascension of the Lord. I think most people know that the church's celebration of Jesus' resurrection doesn't stop at Easter. However, on Thursday, we observe another important moment after Jesus rose from the dead, his ascension into heaven. Ascension Day is one of the earliest Christian festivals dating back to the year 68. It's celebrated 40 days after Easter Sunday, 10 days prior to Pentecost. Talk for a minute about why Ascension Day should be so meaningful for Christians around the world, Archbishop.
1: Well, I think what it reminds us of is something very mysterious and extremely important. And that is that when Jesus rose from the dead, before he, in his body, and, and w- was with his apostles, with them, with the disciples, for those 40 days, that, it, that is talked about in the Acts of the Apostles and, and in the Gospels. But what happened in those 40 days? I think it's very important that we understand that in some mysterious way, Christ was still instructing and handing on to them the basis of the tradition which the Church has lived by uh, since the beginning. And all of that then uh, came to a head at Pentecost Sunday when, as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit uh, descended upon them. They threw open the locked doors that, because they were so scared and went out and preached Christ from the housetops. But what they preached was not just what they had heard uh, from being with him and hearing him during his uh, earthly life but also from those 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. And so this is all at the very heart of the church and the heart of the gospel and what we have received from Christ. And so on Ascension Thursday, Jesus said that he had to go from them in this way so that he could be even more present to them in an elevated way and not only to them, but to the whole church until the end of time. Jesus said, I am with you always, even until the end of time. And that's exactly what is fulfilled by Christ returning to the Father in heaven uh, in his body and blood, soul, and divinity, And, and then the Father sending forth the gift of the Holy Spirit.
0: How comforting that is. I am with you always, even to the end of time. How comforting that is in our own day and age, When we seem to be encountering so many various problems, not only in the United States but throughout the world, huh? Yes. On a light note, Saturday is a day to celebrate a summertime grilling favorite, the hamburger. The hamburger first appeared in the 19th or the 20th centuries, and over the years it's become a culinary icon in the United States. Louis Lunch in New Haven advertises itself as the first restaurant to serve hamburgers and is being the oldest hamburger restaurant still operating in the United States. It opened as a small lunch wagon back in 1895. Have you ever been to Louis Lunch Archbishop?
1: No, and I've been meaning to go, but I never get around to it. Hmm. I'm gonna. You're reminding me I, I have to do that one of these days soon.
0: I think I'm going to have to take you there.
1: Are you going to pay?
0: Um, well,
1: yes. And don't be taking it out of the radio budget, either.
0: (laughs) No, out of the vast salary I get from the Archdiocese.
1: Well, it's vast (laughs) enough to buy a hamburger. True. What
0: condiments are, are your favorites on burgers?
1: Oh, just plain old mustard.
0: Okay. Let's move on to look at happiness in life today. And this is where we examine some of the wisdom of Pope Francis, drawn from his writings. So I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's Address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop for your own thoughts on what the pope has said. This is taken from Pope Francis' general audience delivered on May 7th of 2014 and is called Not what pleases me, but what pleases him. The pope writes, "When we commune with God and listen to his word, we gradually set aside our personal logic, which is mostly determined by our limitations, prejudices and ambitions. We learn to ask the Lord, what is your wish? What is your will? What pleases you?" This is how a deep, almost co-natural harmony in the Spirit grows and develops within us. We experience the truth of Jesus' words as written in the Gospel of Matthew, Do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. You will be given at that moment what you are to say. For it will not be you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Archbishop, can we become so attuned to the Spirit of God within us that the will of God supersedes our own wants and desires.
1: Well, it better, or we won't get to heaven. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, it, you know, the one it is doing the will of God that that uh, uh, leads us down the path of virtue and holiness. It's not possible to to become a holy person unless you do the will of God, uh, and that calls for faith and uh, uh, you know. Uh, all the virtues uh, humility and so many other things but uh, yes i mean that that's that is the key
0: i like the, what the pope says we learn to ask the lord what is your wish what is your will what pleases you how do we as as individuals who sometimes overindulge in our own needs our own wants and wishes how do we uh, subject our will to the will of the lord
1: well, we don't have much choice, do we? Because what we want doesn't happen a lot of times anyway. And so then it becomes uh, a question of uh, whether we rebel against the crosses and disappointments and sufferings of life or whether we accept them as part of the mystery of the cross and we do what, uh, with faith, hope, and love uh, what God uh, uh, wills for us. And sometimes that is a permissive will, in the sense that it is—it's something that befalls us that's not good in itself. You know, illness, for example. But and we pray for healing. We, we uh, you know, and such that Jesus healed the sick. But when that doesn't happen, and it's not God's will that we that we, that we be healed, that we have to endure these uh, these crosses, uh, then that is our path to to, to holiness. Really, in the end, it's all about embracing uh, with faith, hope, and love the will of God for, for us. Of course, n- uh, not to be um, uh, too uh, uh, bleak about this, but in our own day, it's not just about doing the will of, of God. It's even about accepting God as the creator. Uh, you know, Again, mm-hmm. that famous line I love to quote from Pope Benedict, uh, when the freedom to be creative becomes the freedom to create yourself. Uh, then uh, the the hu- uh, human person is, lo- uh, or then g- God is lost sight of, and the human person as well. And so, uh, when you talk about, uh, you know, p- people today wanting to uh, uh, recreate the human person uh, in in his or her sexuality, in uh, his or her moral life, in everything, this is an utter rejection of the of uh, of creation and redemption and God's will for us.
0: Let's look at our Gospel reading on this 6th Sunday of Easter, the 22nd day of May. Today's reading is from John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. And after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts.
2: If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine but the Fathers who sent Me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Archbishop, your thoughts on the meaning of our gospel passage
0: today?
1: Well, I think we, in in a sense, have been talking about it even Mm -hmm. before you just... uh, uh, played it for for us. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, yet the word you hear is not mine, but that of the Father who sent me. And the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have told you. Not as the world gives peace do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You'd rejoice on going to the Father, but now this is happening so that you may believe. So it's all this kind of rhapsody of praise that Jesus is giving us in the Gospel of John, and also the assurance that he is with us always and that we have only to believe and to uh, follow his word, to obey his word, uh, that that all will be well, both in this life and above all in the world to come. So this is the consummation of the great mystery of Easter, and it's a living mystery. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. And the challenge is for us to live by that truth, to live by that mystery, to live by that faith.
0: What do you say to a person that feels that they need to better understand the presence of Jesus in their lives or they they're wondering whether Jesus is truly present to them has Jesus left me or is he still with me? What do you say to a person like that?
1: Well, I don't quite know how to to answer. I suppose obviously it's a, in the end it's a question of faith, you know. Yeah. If you, if you believe, you you know, what's the prayer? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, as the pleading father of the dying boy said, in, or sick boy said to Jesus in the gospel, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We have to have the will to want to believe, and we ask God for the grace to be able to believe. But I think sometimes, you know, today people we can all get mired in our own self. And it's not, you know, if you get too preoccupied with your own uh self with your own um, struggles, with your own sufferings, and close in on yourself, then you're not going to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear God. I think it's when we come out of ourselves and try to live the gospel, when you know we try to pray, even if it seems dry or hard, that's when God gives us these graces. We have to keep, you know, Jesus says the road to heaven is narrow and rough. And the road to perdition is wide and smooth. So we shouldn't be surprised if we struggle with faith uh, and with the the things we, we are asked to do out of faith. But Jesus is there with us.
0: Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Stuart from West Haven says, Lawmakers in states such as Louisiana are considering legislation that could subject women who obtain abortions to criminal prosecution and prison. More than 70 pro-life leaders, including Archbishop William E. Laurie, who leads the U.S. Bishops' Pro-Life Committee, are demanding that state lawmakers refuse to punish or criminalize women who obtain abortions. What is your opinion on prosecuting women who receive abortions? Would you say that there are two victims with every abortion, both the mother and her unborn child?
1: Yes, I would say that that's the case, that this is, uh, you know, a woman who who uh, is involved in an abortion, she becomes a victim too of something that so many uh, women who have done this uh, feel very keenly. That's why the church uh, provides uh, as much support as we can for women and for men involved who have had an abortion and are deeply uh, wounded by it uh, morally and spiritually. And I agree absolutely with uh, Archbishop uh, Laurie and our our committee on uh, Pro-Life Committee Uh, that uh, criminalizing the women who uh, obtain an abortion is not, that's not a a solution to to the the serious moral challenge we face here. Because remember, abortion is not just about changing or or making it uh, illegal. It's about addressing morally and spiritually and compassionately the situation of women who are in this, uh, tempted to have an abortion, and, of course, we try to do so much. Our, our archdiocese has these programs and pro-life groups have all these programs to assist women, to help them. And this criminalization would not, would not is really not going to—I think it's going to make things much worse. So I certainly agree with our bishops' committee uh, in this regard.
0: Sue from Middlebury says, The glory be in some prayers of the Liturgy of the Hours use the phrase, world without end. I presume this refers to the coming of a new heaven and new earth. What does this Catholic phrase mean?
1: Well, Sue, I have to put my thinking cap on here about what I've heard or studied about this in the past, you know, in in translations and such. Yes, it just means for ages unending, world without end. In other words, uh, really for eternity that, you know, uh, the scriptures speak of a new heavens and a new earth. And what exactly that means, of course, we can't we can't can't uh, know at this point. It's not for us to know, but uh, it, it it's really referring to to eternity, the visible coming of the kingdom of God, in its fullness.
0: Jody from New Britain has a question for you, Archbishop, saying, when a priest, a bishop, or the Pope blesses the people, and this blessing is transmitted electronically, does that blessing only apply to those present? Or does it also apply to those who are watching the televised program or DVD or listening on the Internet or the radio?
1: Well, Jody, you raise a very interesting question. I would say that it certainly um, applies uh, to the people who are participating at that moment uh, on uh, because it's the intention to impart that blessing to them. Now, for example, a, a mass that is videotaped, and so it's not – uh, going to it's not simultaneous, you know. It, it it's broadcast at a later time. Uh, then I would I would say certainly it's the intention of the celebrant to extend it to whoever's participating in that way. But if you're talking about watching a DVD that was made in 1978 uh, with you know uh, a newly elected Pope John Paul giving this blessing, uh, and does that apply now? I, I well, I mean, we're talking about spiritual things. that can't make a hard and fast determination, yeah, but right. I would say that's kind of remote. That's that that's uh, that, that's somewhat questionable. I don't think we should think that something that's that far removed and, and re- removed from the intent of the person conferring the blessing at the time that it's probably more of a historical thing than than a present reality.
0: Walter from Morris says, do, you, do we know for certain that Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30 and that it lasted for three years, or is that just a tradition?
1: Well, I think it's more than a tradition uh, it, in the sense that it, it, it has to do with the calculation of the evidence that is in Scripture itself that helps us to understand how we can establish a kind of time frame uh, for Christ's life. And it would seem that the traditional understanding is correct, you know, about Jesus being uh, about a three-year public ministry and being about in his early 30s at the time of the crucifixion. Those kind of things all fit in with with the hints and indications that are given in Scripture and other sources as well.
0: And I think we can end with Elaine's question from Windsor. Elaine says, Is my rosary still usable if the crucifix fell off? If I would like to get a new rosary how should I dispose of the broken one
1: Well I'm sure it's still usable even without the cross and if you disposing of items that are for devotional use we want to be respectful but we can't you know there's so many old rosaries and such we have to we don't want to just throw them in the garbage I think sometimes that one of the ways we do it is just to to bury items of that of that nature or or find some other A lot of times, old rosaries just wind up in in a drawer someplace. Uh, I don't know that that's a very suitable answer, but we we want it to be uh, practical, but at the same time, not irreverent.
0: And sometimes there are organizations, church groups, that will take old rosaries and fix them and then uh, give them away to somebody who could use them, too. Sure. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: Lord Jesus, in this joyful Easter season that is leading now to your ascension into heaven and to the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we believe with all our hearts that your words and your promises are being fulfilled, not just in ancient times to the apostles and the early church, but are also being fulfilled in our day. So we ask and pray for renewal of the gift of the Holy Spirit in power upon each one of us, uh, so that we may live our baptism and confirmation and Holy Eucharist every day, and so that the Church in our Archdiocese of Hartford and throughout the world may be renewed in bearing powerful witness to the resurrection. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to again joining you next week. Until then, we wish you a great week.
1: Thank you.